Peters says she only cares about Jughead and Alice. My question is, why doesn't she care about Polly? Yeah, I, I agree. Polly, who maybe we need to be caring a little more about her. Yeah. Because it looks like perhaps she is under the influence of the Bogwan. So I, I was going to say, have you seen Wild Wild Country yet? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Pals and gals, and welcome to a very, very special episode of XO, XO Riverdale. Riverdale. I'm Louis Perlman. I'm Kate Batter. And thanks for sticking with us for this entire season of the show. We're very excited to wrap it up with our final episode uh, of uh, this current season. So, uh, Kate, before we get into the episode, any cool social media stuff going on? A couple cool things happened this week, which is Vanessa, Skeet, and Charles were in Paris, and I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe Um, they were just on a trip. Yeah, they were just, like, there together. Yeah. (laughs) There were upfronts for the CW. Mm -hmm. KJ took a bunch of really cool pictures. So did Charles. Oh, I didn't see any of Charles's. That's cool. Yeah. For Um, the people who don't know what an upfront is. Oh, yeah. Explain what an upfront is, just like how we had to explain diegetic music. Yeah, so an upfront is all the major networks do it. It's where basically the cast comes out and presents their show to an audience full of potential sponsors. Yes. And just to, like, kind of sell themselves and get, yeah, sponsors. And, like, it's interesting that, like, I feel like it makes a lot of sense for new shows. But then it's like, I mean, they know what they're getting into with Riverdale. But I I think some sponsors just, like, would rather see everything at once instead of, like, trying to watch shows. Yes. And also, probably, it's a bit of, like, a glam factor for the sponsors to be able to go and meet all the stars. Yeah. And there's probably a bit of a cachet for them to get to meet and uh, interact with stars they already know compared to the new shows. You know what I mean? My favorite upfront story of all time is... For the first season of the monkeys up front, this is a bit of an aside, but it's worth telling. They just like completely misbehaved and were like incredibly belligerent to all the sponsors. What's their brand? It, it was, and at the time, the uh, the sponsors were like, "What? What is this? Like, what would we be getting into by sponsoring the show?" But they ended up uh, getting Kellogg's to like be a major sponsor because Kellogg's was like, "Yeah." This is our cereal. These four boys, like, being mean to us. So, I mean, whatever works. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, but uh, I can't imagine that that was the case with the Riverdale cast, which, to my understanding so far, are all very well-behaved young actors. Yeah. Like, they might be a little pretentious here and there, but they certainly seem to be pretty pretty chill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think with bigger casts, it happens that way. Yeah, like, they sort of even each other out. There's no, like, diva star. Like, KJ Appa is not the star of Riverdale. Right. Yeah, despite the fact that sometimes the show tries to force Archie to be the main character. It just never seems to really be the case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What else is going on? Rob Rocco. Yes. Was in Cuba. 
And I got the news alert that that plane crashed and 100 people died. And I, like, freaked out. Oh, Kate. He flew, like, his flight was, like, two hours before it. Oh, my God. It was a close call. Well, I'm glad he's all right. And my heart goes out to those that were affected by that crash. Yeah. It was, like, a minor freak out on the inside, I just say. No, I totally understand. I mean, you know, if there's not enough to have anxiety about in the world right now, it's very important, I feel, for us to have anxiety about the cast members of Riverdale. Yes. And their well-being. Mm-hmm. But de- no, definitely, definitely. Um, this is not specifically social media news, but I just read an article that I think we should discuss that was in Forbes mm-hmm. that is uh, about the fact that r- the show has leveraged the social media of the cast members in a way that is very unique and has led to the hashtag Riverdale being the third most followed hashtag on all of Instagram. Okay. First of all, very unique, not a phrase. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. You should, and we should leave this in. Am I, am I fired? You're, you're out. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Like, I don't follow the cast of other shows, so I, like, can't speak to how special it is. I know. It sort of actually feels like because we have such a special relationship with this show that we have a bit of a myopic view on this. Yeah. But that being said, it appears that a lot of fans have a special relationship with this show. Mm-hmm. And that this is the way that they're they're following. And basically, what the, what the article argues is that the, what Riverdale has proven is that there's no delineation between a publicity period for a show and mm-hmm. a private period for these actors' lives. Yeah. And that all these actors actually have very curated Instagram feeds, but that being said, they're still quite personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they're allowed to post on the fly and they do that, and that's why we always have news like, oh, KJ is at Coachella, for example, as mm-hmm. it's happening. However, they've been briefed and vetted by s- specialists as to what they should be posting. Right. So, so we'll never see an Instagram post from any of them that's like, here's a shitty thing that happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the combo, apparently the winning combo is – uh, a, a mix of relatability while still there being a, a glamour factor. Right. And, and they're, they've been encouraged to be shooting on set to give us hints as to what's going on in the show, because mm-hmm. it really all drives publicity for the show as well. Right. What, what I think is interesting about it is it's very modern. Obviously this is a new concept in the way to promote media in general. And it's, all centered around a brand that really up to like seven, eight years ago could not have been a more old fashioned brand. Yeah. So this is a real turnaround. And, you know, to me, I was thinking about it, reading this article. It's, it's really like if like old, like Judy Garland and Mickey Rudy musicals all of a sudden became the third most followed Instagram tag. Yeah. You know, um, and that demonstrates such a savvy reinvention of this intellectual property that, like, I think 
is still happening and is a little t- t- we're a little too close to it to unpack right now but i think that yeah. this is really going to reverberate even after the show is off the air you know yeah so i just think that's very interesting Apologies to our listeners. I was at a punk rock show last night and I screamed too much. And now apparently I'm a, sound a little bit like my grandmother. So I, I hope it's not too distracting during this episode. I saw a tweet yesterday where someone said that when the Dixie Chicks spoke out against George Bush to their ultra conservative crowd, it was the most punk rock any band's ever been and everyone else should give up. I was like, honestly, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, once again, a little bit of an aside, but I would argue that there's elements of subversion in culture that come from all over the place that could be considered punk rock that have nothing to do with the actual genre of punk rock. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Punk rock is not just a three chord song. Yeah. And cheers to that. (laughs) I always say this, it never fucking happens, but I'd love for our listeners to weigh in on this because I think that all of us as fans have a really unique relationship with these actors that is actually quite different. And we address it on the show, but I'd like to know how it sort of changed your feelings and relationships with, with the show and the way that you like geek out and fan out about these characters and about these actors. Mm-hmm. Ah, Riverdale, the land where dreams come true. Great. So uh, episode 35, Brave New World. <laughs> named after a novel right which was then turned into a movie which is why it works yeah for sure um i forget what the novel was about but it's like super famous and you probably read it it's a dystopic world that right. if i remember correctly is about all babies are artificially grown but I, I i feel like i read part of it as a teenager but i didn't don't think i was into it and i don't think i finished it yeah it's just never been assigned to me so i never read it Hey, I should, but, you know, there's a lot to read. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to read, including, you know, comic books, which are better than books. So sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so overall, how did you feel about this episode? A little disappointed. Yeah, me as well. This is sort of what happened last season, too, where, like, the second to last episode was the most intense. De- but, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't go back to look. I thought the last episode was the episode where Cheryl falls through the ice. Yeah, and, like, intense stuff happened in this. Yeah, but not as satisfying as I'd say the season one finale was. Yeah, and I will also say that, spoiler to the end of the episode, the difference between someone being shot and someone being arrested is pretty big. 100% agreed. And also, it sets up stakes, and, you know, we'll talk about this a little later as well, but it sets up stakes that I think are less compelling for um, plot uh, plot moves yeah. than having someone be shot, you know? Yeah. Also, they just, like, solved the second black hood at the end. Well, really. I mean, I if the second black hood just ends up being tall boy and it's an open and shut, yeah. that's majorly disappointing. Yeah. And I read an article this week, um, an interview with Roberto... You know, and I love him, and he liked one of our tweets this week. I really, you know, he is, I'm sure he's certainly one of my artistic influences and an idol of mine. But that being said, what he said is that they didn't decide who the Black Hood was going to be until halfway through the season. Mm -hmm. And what they had set up 
was another whodunit similar to the first season. And Mm -hmm. if you're writing towards a resolution as to a mystery and you don't know who it is, and they had some ideas of several different people, but you don't know who it is until about halfway through that. I think you're setting yourself up for um, difficulties. Yeah. And I think that's what we're noticing here. And I think it's important to do the work to put together the pieces of the puzzle before you present the puzzle to the world, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the tall boy move was a lot happened off screen in this episode. And I didn't mind some of it, but that was something I certainly minded. Yeah. Like they couldn't have written a scene, you know, if, if it really was tall boy, which is why I think it's still a red herring. Mm-hmm. They couldn't have written a scene where Archie confronts him or yeah. there's some sort of, you know, closure there because as, as audience members, we didn't get the closure we deserved. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, I know that that's a little out of episode order, but, uh, I think it's worth talking about now. Yeah, and even if we go in episode order, they like sold themselves short immediately. Yes, let's do. Let's deal with it. Let's let's jump into it. Um, go for it, Kate. Let's. So the show opens. Let's, you, on, use your copious notes. Yes, the show opens on what turns out to be Jughead's grave. Uh, yeah, and like you look at it for like a second, and then Jughead wakes up. Yes, and Betty. I mean, it's a two-second fake out. It's, it's, it's half a scene because Betty kneels down and says, come back to us, come back to us, uh-huh. which that character, if this were reality, she would not do this because right. she is an intelligent human being who understands the difference between life and death. Yeah. So immediately we know that this is some sort of dream sequence mm-hmm. and that, you know, and then cut to... Jughead waking up looking much better. Yeah. Like really like he got better quite quickly. Right. And of course, as this show always does, it plays with time and we, we have experienced some sort of time jump, but we don't really know how long. Yeah. And, and then as the episode progresses really with where all the rest of the plot lines are, the time jump cannot have been longer than like a week. Mm-hmm. So boy, Jughead, who looked at the end of the episode to be in several pieces, yeah. strewn about a field, has really, really, you know, they must have given him a lot of like Neosporin, <laughs> you know? like Yeah, which you're like, not supposed to use unless it's infected. Fair enough. So maybe it wasn't the right thing for me to say. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like a lot of like vitamin E or something, yeah. you know, like uh, Jesus, you know? And then like the immediate next thing that happens is Jughead finds out Fangs is alive. Yeah. So like, basically it makes the episode before be like, no, JK, those stakes weren't high, which is a shame because the episode before was so powerful. Yeah. And perhaps should have been the season finale. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if the season had ended on Jughead in in FP's arms like that, that would have been pretty pretty bold. It sure would have. Yeah. Ugh. But here we are. Exactly, exactly. So FP tells Jughead everything that he missed in the past one to seven days. <laughs> um, which is that the trailer park's been burned down. Yeah. 
some of the serpents ended up joining the ghoulies. Yeah. Some just, like, left. And, like, that's it. The and, end. And, and also that there was a big ghoulies-serpent battle. Right. And that the serpents, you know, lost, you know, with, you know, quite quite dramatically. Yeah. And honestly, at the time I was watching it, I don't mind time jumps like this in shows. I actually think that it's sort of compelling to have to fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah. And, and status quo. Um, but I feel like they need to forward the plot along in a way that is rewarding to the viewer and then as the episode went on, it was quite clear that all that was was forcing Skeet to deliver a whole bunch of, you know, uh, exposition. Right, which also didn't happen. Yes, some of which were lies. Yep. Not all, but some. Right. Yeah, sort of half-truths that he yep. was telling to sort of get his way, which was that he wanted to cut out of town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Betty comes to see Jughead, who's, again, totally alive and fine. Yeah, she can, like, lie on his chest, and he's not like, ouch! Yeah, no IV or anything, just like, hey, okay. Yeah, he's not like, um, 12 of my ribs are broken, thanks, thanks, buddy. Like, none of that. Yeah. Betty cares, says she only cares about Jughead and Alice. My question is, why doesn't she care about Polly? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Polly, who, we'll get to her, but maybe we need to be caring a little more about her. Yeah, yeah. Because it looks like perhaps she is under the influence of the Bogwan. So I, I was gonna say, have you seen Wild Wild Country yet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and if you haven't, amazing thing to watch in the so interim good. between Riverdale seasons. Yeah, uh, I'm really hoping that Manon Sheila is a recurring Riverdale character in the next season. Would be very funny. But we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. Um. So Betty says she has to, like, atone for her father. Jughead's like, no, you don't. She's like, I do. And you're like, okay, Betty, this is going to get real tired real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) She says that she's not running for student council anymore, which, like, yeah, that makes sense. I bet you'd have some trouble winning. But also, Kate, did you really even remember that the student council thing was still a plot line? Nope. Yeah, because when she brought it up, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that, like, no one cares about right now. Yeah, also, like, are they running for student council for next year? Like, it's the middle of the school year. Well, apparently Riverdale, I mean, that might be a fun, that might be a fun mini episode. But for us to, like, spend a little bit of time now that we're going to be on our break and hammer out, like, look through all the synopses. And try to build some sort of believable timeline for the two seasons of this show. I mean... Like, how many months has this happened during? Yeah. It might be a lost cause, but it might be kind of hilarious to give it a try. Yeah. I feel like we'd fail. I feel like I'd give up really fast. Yeah, yeah. It would just be an episode that would end with you, like, tearing up your notes. And me being sad that I ever made you try. Yeah. So maybe never mind. But, yeah. So student council shit is still going on. Whatever. Uh, and so is mayoral shit, because uh, Veronica is booking Fred right after Hermione at every stop. Yeah, mayoral shit, which I actually do feel it has more higher stakes in the show and I feel is more important, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then Veronica, she's also not running for student council. <laughs> and now I'm racking my brain, like, who was running for student council that's left? Reggie. Reggie. Archie. Right, which isn't really clear because he was originally 
running with running Ronnie. with Veronica and uh, Ethel, right? Who we did not know about until this episode. Ethel, dark horse candidate, who also is absolutely the most qualified out of all. Oh, of them. for sure. Like she should have. Like when it was like Ethel's running, it was like. Wait, why wouldn't everybody vote for Ethel? She's responsible and uh, well, because it's smart. Still so popularity for sure. I mean, well, most politics is popularity, obvi. <laughs> but um, and she did do that weird shit that implicated her in Midge's murder, right? As well, which shows that maybe she has some stuff to deal with, which I would understand after the shit she's been through. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm on Ethel's side always. Yeah. Archie supposes that the second Black Hood is someone Hiram hired, and they guess a few people, and then that's the end of the scene. Yes. I have nothing to add. Yep. We find out that Nana Rose is Shale's official guardian, which, like, there should have been some, like, court dates and hearings for that. It was great, though. Apparently, you know, what's her face, McCoy? Um, What's that? She's not Mayor McCoy. We can't call her that anymore. Yeah. Sierra McCoy. She's the best lawyer in, of all time and is representing everybody ever in Riverdale. Right, which is basically a giant conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah, well, Riverdale, I think as a town at this point, is a conflict of interest. Yeah. So it is what it is. So then Cheryl goes to deliver the news. Right, and she finds Claudius Penelope and Hiram having dinner. Yes, in the barn. Right, which is bonkers. Yeah, which is great. Also, I find it hard to believe that any of those three people can cook. Oh, come on. They went and got, like, food from one of Riverdale's other unseen restaurants. Right. Yeah, maybe there's a restaurant at the Five Seasons we haven't seen. Oh, maybe. It's, like, fancy. Yeah. That would make sense, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Problem solved. Yeah. And then Betty comes home to Alice, like, losing her shit at people just standing on their doorstep. And, and I definitely understand. This, this feels like an understandable thing for Alice to be doing. Yeah, but it also, like, doesn't seem right that people congregate there because there was no murder in that location. No, it was just the house of the killer. Yeah. But, I mean, that feels... I don't know. Like, I, I, I have no opinion either way about that. I think it's, like, acceptable. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah, yeah the, the media would do that. They'd try to get quotes out of the family, you know, and yeah. try to get more footage out of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's just people who hang out outside the Cooper house. No, that's like a thing. Yes. Archie just will not let his black hood theory go, which I guess, like, he was right. Uh, Betty apologized to Fred that maybe her dad's the one that shot him. Even though Archie's like, no, it wasn't. (laughs) But I mean, it's very nice of Betty. Yeah. And then this is the best scene in the whole episode. I think you know which one I'm talking about. When Kevin walks into the bathroom and finds Moose crying. Before we talk about this, not to take the wind out of our sails, it was great. However, there was, it was in no way connected with the rest of the episode. Right, they really just dropped it. And that in itself was um, a little disappointing for me. Yeah. Um, And I know it's because they want to, you know, it's something they want to touch on now and leave us hanging for season three. Yeah. But it did feel a little tacked on. Yeah, I didn't spend the rest of the episode, like, looking to see if they were even standing near each other. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, it didn't, it, it didn't feel like that was the case. Um, like it was like, it wasn't like it was seeded throughout the rest of the episode, as you right. said. And it sort of was, this is part of my complaint about the, the entire episode is that it felt like them just trying to address as much as possible without actually assembling it into an organic plot. Yeah. So I think it would have been more satisfying for us. Even if, even if it had ended with not a scene written in with the two of them, but them exchanging like a glance that hinted towards something was going to happen. Right. Which we've been getting most of the season. We have, and there's been a tension there that I've really appreciated and I felt has been dealt with quite realistically, but you know, and I cheered when they kissed, you know, but yeah, because it was was still the best scene in the episode, but that's saying a lot about the episode, right? Yeah. Kevin finds Moose crying and Moose is all sad that Midge's locker is destroyed. And then they just like fucking kiss. Um, Yes. It was, it was a consoling hug. Yeah. That turned into a makeout and it turned into Moose kissing Kevin. Right. And then Kevin, Kevin being surprised. Yeah. Kevin was surprised though. Yeah. Which, uh, I appreciated. Kevin wasn't just like, Oh yeah, this is great. It was more like, Oh my God, this is how you're going to deal with this. Right. And then now, like, so the show pays a lot of attention to Benny and Jughead's relationship and Archie and Veronica's. Yes. And they're paying more attention to Cheryl and Tony. I just hope we get them to pay attention to Moose and Kevin. Because generally, Kevin's in a relationship that's almost immediately ignored. That is a good point. And, you know, Kate, the Twitter feedback, I read a lot about this when it happened. A lot of people were like, no, 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 we like Kevin and Joaquin. Oh, disagree. But I think that's just because I like Moose better. Well, it's because, I mean, I do like the idea on the show of this, like, sort of, like, jockey guy that's not supposed to be um, particularly in touch with his feelings. And on the show is, or in the comics, is traditionally portrayed as being a little less smart than some of the other characters. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of him coming in coming to terms with himself and and the way he feels about men i think that's like a really positive thing to have on uh on a show for teenagers you know so i hope that they do explore it in you know like even if it was similar to like in a love simon fashion i would really like that you know yeah and like now that charles and vanessa have been moved up to series regulars i really think they should move cody up Oh, of course. We've been saying that since season one. Yeah, since the first time he was on screen, really. Yeah, you mean, like, in a while? Like... Like, in season one. Oh, 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 you're saying since... Yes, totally. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, we love Moose. It's true, we love Moose. XOXO Moose. Mm-hmm. So, then it comes out that Reggie and Josie aren't running. Yes, that's right. And I don't even remember why. No. Um... Still fine. It's really just we still at this point don't realize that it's Archie, so it's really just Ethel running. Which would be great for Riverdale for Riverdale High. Yes. I mean her tag like her line could be of her campaign could be like, vote for Ethel Muggs, she'll throw a milkshake at injustice, you know? Yeah, oh solid. Yeah. <laughs> but also if she was the only one running, she like wouldn't even need a tagline. Yeah, it's like Vote for Ethel Muggs. There's no other choice. So I'm the dictator of Riverdale High. Yeah. 
That would be a hilarious plot line. She becomes like a South American dictator of the school. Yeah, and then the next musical episode is Evita. (laughs) I like, Evita would have been, I would have enjoyed that more than Carrie. Yeah. But here we are. Mm -hmm. Um, So we find out that the Southside kids are no longer going to attend Riverdale and are going to go to, I believe, Seaside High School. Seaside High, where... Is that a thing? No, no. Nope, okay, the end. But I imagined it was where Popeye was the principal. Great. <laughs> you know, because really. Yeah, that's fine. Although Popeye and all his friends live in a place called Sea Haven, not Seaside. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed this, this element of the episode because it, it demonstrated growth and change in a way that I thought was slow moving and appropriate through the season of this acceptance of these people who are different than mm-hmm. the people who are going to Riverdale High. Right. Because pretty much immediately all the Riverdale High characters that at first were like, we are weary of these serpents, you know, being, um, joining our, our school are now like, no, 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 they should be allowed to live and, and, uh, and learn alongside with us. And the, the, the differences between us are, are um, frivolous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like that. I thought that was, I liked all of this. Um, so then Hiram reveals that he was with Penelope and Claudius because he's getting into the maple syrup is, which is not like, doesn't also make sense for Hiram. Like if he's supposed to be the savvy businessman, then why is he getting into maple syrup? Because in this world, maple syrup is as lucrative as being in oil, and it makes no sense. No. No. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but that's been a, kind of an issue with the show that we used to think was funny. But yeah. now we're like, no, no, no. Stop this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's quite enough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Madeline Petch has autographed a bottled maple syrup for you. As well as KJ Appa. Yes, we are done with this. We have yeah. gotten what we need out of this. And to be clear, it was ginger syrup. That's right, ginger, ginger, like ginger-infused maple syrup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jughead finds the serpents have been sleeping at the White Worm. Yeah, they're using it as like a shelter. Right, and so that means his dad lied to him. Yes. Yes. That's as per, as per usual with FP. Yeah. Yeah. Betty says she doesn't think she should go back to school. I get it. She's traumatized. I wouldn't yeah. want to go back to school either. Yeah, and she knows it like won't go well. Yeah, I mean, if I had a fucking hangnail, I wouldn't want to go back to school sometimes. Okay. So, like, I get it, Betty. It's fine. Um, FP was fired from prop from Pops. Yes. And he's like, this is a good thing, because that means you and I can go to Toledo. And Jughead's like, no. Yeah, but, you know, that shows an interesting change in Jughead. You know, I was thinking back to Jughead desperately on the phone with his mom. But he also, in the past, he has rejected going to Toledo at the end of the first season. Yes, yes, that is true. Uh, But, like, it feels like now there's no way he could abandon all these people that need him in Riverdale. Right. And he's become such an advocate for the serpents. And I like this. You know, we were weary of the Jughead serpent shit at the beginning of the season. We were yeah. like, is this really what we want to see from him? 
And I'm still, I would still love a little more of the sardonic outsider Jughead we saw in season one. Right, the one that's weirdo, weirdo, he doesn't fit in, he doesn't want to fit in. Exactly, yes, of course. But that being said, uh, I do feel like the traditional version of Jughead has always had a nose out for when his friends are treated unjustly. And I do like seeing him become a leader in this way because that is the Jughead that I know and love. They, you know, all the core four in the comics all do have a sense of morality that I feel like when the show strays from is when the show has a problem. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's revealed that Fred really needs the South Side vote. Yes, to win the election. Hmm. Um, and then the next thing is that yeah, that they caught. R2's black hood and that it was tall boy the end. Womp womp. Yep, that's it. Yeah, let's describe a shootout that happens off off screen. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is a problem. Uh, they have to resolve this or else we're going to rant and rave about it into season three. Yep. Also, I think this is a great time to bring up no chick in this episode. Right, again, no chick. So, like... If this leads to being another stupid thing like they did with Miss Grundy, where, like, Chick gets one more scene at the beginning of season three. Yeah. And then he's, like, killed or something. That's also bullshit. Right. Like, Chick needs to... There needs to be something brewing with Chick that's really, really amazing and satisfying. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway. Yeah. So, Polly's home. Yes. And Polly thinks they should all just forgive Hal. Yes, and that's why... what I forget what he's called, but I'm going to call him the Reverend. Yep, has been teaching. So this is very exciting, right? Yeah, because if this show veers into cult territory, I'm all for it. Yes, like season three where they're dealing with a creepy cult. Mm-hmm. Amen. Moi, sure. I love it. So Hermione wants Veronica to have power over Hiram because. Veronica doesn't want to be the, like, contingency plan that they always just, like, fall to when Hiram messes up. hmm And Hiram's like, I want to buy the white worm. And Veronica's like, nope, I'm going to start blackmailing you. Now, this is all kind of interesting because, so, Hiram needs the white worm to complete whatever his more insidious plan is for the South Side. hmm Veronica is tipped off by Hermione about this. Right. Veronica buys the white worm. Right. We're not there yet, but yes, she does. Well, no, but like, let's talk about this because this is all connected, right? Mm-hmm. And then Veronica, in the later scene, which we can talk about now, trades the white worm to Hiram. Right. For Pops, mm-hmm. completely screwing up Veronica's plan to block her father. Right. And he even then is like, uh, I'm going to take away your allowance. I'm going to take away your credit card. You're going to sell your third of Lodge Industries. And Veronica's like, okay. So are we going to see, like, middle-class Veronica in the next season? Yeah, I want to know how much she makes out of her third of... Lodge Industries. Yeah. Yeah, like, if she's going to sell her share of Lodge Industries, could she... This is meat and potatoes that will never be addressed on this show. So... It's almost not worth talking about, but, like, would it be enough for her to, like, throw into a trust for herself and live off of the interest until she's imp- until she gets another, you know, means of employment as a young woman? Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like, is this really going to affect her? Like, they seem to be super wealthy. So, like, you know, I don't know, man. It just might make her financially independent. That might be all it is. Yeah. Yeah. If that even happens, if she even gets cut off in the first place. Yeah, or, yeah, the show could negate that, too. Yeah. There could be a scene in the season three premiere where she's cutting up her credit cards, and then she wakes up in a hospital room and it was all a dream. Right. <laughs> and that someone's alive still. Yeah, exactly. Um, small, small fry. Yeah. So Penelope won't let Cheryl go to the White Worm, and Cheryl's like, too bad, Nana Rose is my guardian. And it's like, okay, so she goes. But Penelope, in a surprising act of caring for her daughter, says, don't go. There's going to be a raid, and basically the police are out for blood. Right. So that was quite interesting. Which means Cheryl can then tip them off and say, get out of the White Worm. Exactly. Yeah. And... That, I thought, you know, maybe Penelope will flip to being on the side of the Jedi instead of the Sith, you know, in season yeah. three. We'll I see. Not. Well, no, because of future events in the later in the episode, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Right. Um, so, the sher- so the serpents have to move somewhere on the north side, and they're real sneaky running around. Yeah, all like a hundred of them. What? Then all a hundred of them. Yeah. Um, and they keep almost getting caught, but they don't get caught. And you know where they end up? At the Andrews' house. Yeah. Which is adorable. Yep. And, you know, this is great. This is a nice change from previously in the season, you know? Right. The only thing that's interesting about this is it is, we know that Fred needs their votes. So, like, there's a wonder how much of this is out of just, like, genuinely good-heartedness and also politics. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, I agree with that. And then in order to make it so the serpents don't have to leave Riverdale High, a whole crowd all wearing serpent jackets are outside Weatherby's office. I I actually thought this was the best scene in the episode. They all looked great in serpent jackets. Yeah, and also this felt very satisfying in terms of the arc of the season. Because this season was so much about class differentiation and... Um, marginalized peoples and uh, the mainstream not understanding them. Like, that was so much about, you know, what drove the season, I thought, you know? Yeah. Um, they say, yeah, that they will walk out as students if they're not allowed to stay. And he's like, do it, and you're going to get detention. No, and what he I says they're going to be expelled. Yeah, what I want to talk about most about this scene is Weatherby's bolo tie. <laughs> Do you think Weatherby is a country western aficionado? I mean, there's so much we don't know about him. I mean, I can, this is kind of fun. I can talk about him. He has some really nice endearing endearing characteristics in the comics. Yeah. That might translate over. First of all, in the plot line of uh, Life with Archie, which was wonderful, he falls in love with Miss Grundy and they get married. Right. And then Miss Grundy uh, gets cancer, mm-hmm. and she passes away, and it's, like, really lovely. And, and we should say this is comic book Miss Grundy. Yes, this is lovely, like, old lady, older lady Miss Grundy. And, uh, you know, he's sort of this nice widower who's, like, sad but grateful to have had this experience. And yeah. their right. main passion that they have is that they birdwatch together, which just is so... You know, that's a, that's such a lovely detail. 
Yeah. And then something else about him is, you know, there's been some flashback comics with the characters and he used to have like long hair and be sort of like an eighties rocker. He's been, you know, like sort of like a, like I'd imagine he was into like Aerosmith and journey, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty cute as well. And kind of nice. And he was like a bit of a, a bit of a geek, but had like a lot of passions for, you know, like he, he, he wasn't boring, but he wasn't like super popular as a kid, as a kid when he was at Riverdale high. So the, that's what we know about him from the comics. Cool. Yeah. And then Betty is afraid that evil is genetic and maybe one of Polly's kids could be evil too. Yes. And of course this is skirting around the fact that mental health issues can be genetic. Right. And that's what should be discussed here. Not, mm-hmm. e- not darkness. Anymore. Yeah. This whole yeah. darkness thing, they're really writing themselves into a corner here. Yeah. They might need to get a mental health consultant on the show and start calling these things proper things. Because it's getting borderline irresponsible, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It is very funny at the same time. Yeah, it it is, but it, just as long as it doesn't get damaging for people watching it. Yeah. Where if they're having, you know, feelings of depression or feelings of, you know, violence against others, which is the way a lot of mental health issues can manifest, that then they don't watch the show and think, oh my God, I'm broken, like the Cooper family. And they develop a, a worse sense of self-worth. Like, that's, that's irresponsible. You know what I mean? It's 2018. This is a show for teenagers. Like, it's time. You know? Cool. Um, so the next scene is voting. Yeah. And I thought it was maybe mayoral vote, but then I saw that Fred and Hermione were at the polling location. So it couldn't have been. It had to be student body voting. But then we find out later it was mayoral voting that shares an evening with student body voting. Yeah. Not confusing for anybody. No. Does not violate campaign laws. No. It's it's a great idea. It's totally normal for students have to come in after school to vote for school-related issues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Across the board. Totally normal. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Riverdale is run... Like it's a nightmare world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Betty visits Hal. Yes. That this was a good scene. This was very the tone of the scene. I thought was really great. Yeah. And good performances from the two of them, from Lachlan and from um, Lily. Lily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's there to say goodbye and say that you know there's no more darkness and evil in the Cooper family anymore. And Hal has no power over Betty. Yes, and this is a direct reference to Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy, who's the protagonist, the final girl, the way she beats Freddy is, you know, because Freddy's basically a manifestation of their dreams. Mm-hmm. And he's this inherent, very evil, obviously he's an evil monster. Right. She, she says to Freddy, you have no power over me. And then she turns around and says, I turn my back on you. Mm -hmm. And then she walks away and he tries to attack her and he can't because she's not giving him any more of her attention. Right. Um, And that's the end of him in the, in the movie. So I I appreciated this. I thought it was like a really um, smart nod. And uh, you know, I I love, I'm a big fan of those films. So I yeah, like the it connection. also in a way like gives us closure, so we don't have to sit through the whole like Hal trial. That's true as well. Yeah, because 
well, we're going to get into that, but, like, I don't need Riverdale to have courtroom shit. Right. Even <laughs> that though was, that's 100% what we're getting. I know. And that, I think, is a big, it's a bad move, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Archie wins student body president. This is when we find out he was still running without Veronica. Yeah. And, you know, that's just great. Good for him. He's going to be so good at this. Yeah, the serpents are going to stay at Riverdale. Yeah, I liked that. That's great. But, like, um, Archie, can we talk about this? Yeah. All right, let's, let's play a game here. What do you think is the stupidest thing that Archie could do as student body president? Because I have an idea. Wow. I mean, there's just so much. Yeah. I feel like he's someone that would run on, like, soda in the water fountains and, like, pizza every day. I feel that's the least frightening thing that could happen. Yeah. Like the least, I feel like we're going to get, if, you know, if he were to end up getting to execute his responsibilities, we'd end up getting him organizing a militia of students to enforce school laws. Oh my God. Or to badger the, you know, teacher body into like giving less homework. Like that's what I see happening. Cause he's such a fucking little militant creepo, you know? Yeah. He's going to have like really, really serious, Hall monitoring. Yeah, you know, like, KJ is daddy, and I love him, and I love the character of Archie very much, but on this show, it has been proven time and time again that he has these mouth-breather, alt-right leanings that I think are a big problem for him having any level of authority doing anything. He's gonna, gonna, like, run it with, like, broken window policing. Yeah, he's gonna be... Very loosely on the surface without thinking about it all. You're like, oh, this sounds good. And then, like, as soon as it gets into it, you're like, this is horrible. Yeah, he's going to be like the shitty Ronald Reagan of, of Riverside. Or, he's going to be the Yeah, he is. Like, Something's going to happen, and he's going to become, like, the student body president of America. And then yes. he's going to spiral and be, like, garbage. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, spiral and be, like, garbage could be the Archie uh, tagline for this season. Yeah. So come on, yeah. Um, there's a big serpent meeting. Um, yes, the serpent barbecue. Yeah, uh, ser- serpent company barbecue. Yeah. Uh, FP starts saying goodbye because he's no longer gonna run the serpents, which I feel like he's done this before. <laughs> he has. He's yeah. This and that gonna take over. Yeah. Which he also did before, and then yes. there's like a shot of Fangs just like smiling and having fun. Yeah. Which I loved. It was like the end of an 80s movie. <laughs> That's amazing. That Good call. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then Cheryl becomes a serpent, and for whatever reason, they allow her to have a red leather jacket. Of course they do. But, hey, this is the best visual in the episode. Yeah. Like, oh my god, red leather, like, I mean, hot topic... Better have those available like tomorrow. You oh know? my god! Because that's say, like we previously found out that like to become a serpent, you have to like strip in the white worm. Yeah, apparently, like, just, like gets to be one because she's dating one. You know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping that behind the scenes, the hash like like behind the scenes of the serpents running themselves, uh-huh. they became aware of the hashtag Me Too movement, and they were like, "We're striking some things from this." Yeah, from from this initiation. Right. right away. Like, they saw Betty do it, and they were like, mm, we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Betty decides she wants to go back to school. Yes. 
We find out Fred lost, which is where I wrote my notebook, wait, was Fred at the polling site? Because I thought that, and then I was like, no, it must be student body, and then it comes around to this, and I'm like, oh, no, he was. Yeah. You guys, if you're ever running for office, you can't hang around the polling site on election day. Yeah, don't do it. It's a big no-no. Unless you're running in, like, a country where the elections are fake. Yeah, I mean, do whatever you want. I only know U.S. laws. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it actually might just be for federal elections, like general elections, but it's just a good practice not to do it. I mean, we we need to research that, but certainly I think in New York and in D.C., where Kate and I live, it would not be legal on a lower level. No, there's definitely a degree of it being a federal law, because I remember Bill Clinton was near polling location during primaries. Ah, and people and, were like, this is a problem, but then it was like, he's not actually violating anything. I see. So it was brought up. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but if it had been the gen- general election November, it would have been a problem. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so Hermione won the mayoral race, which feels insane. Yes, but it was only by a 200 vote margin. Less than 200. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, really um, has a discussion with Fred that's like incredibly civil. Yeah. And I I still feel with Hermione that she is about two more instances that the writers are going to write in away from, like, flipping on Hiram. Yes. Yeah, which in itself would be a really fun dynamic for season three, that she's the mayor and that they're wrestling for control of the city, the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd enjoy that. Um, and the next scene is that Archie's at the lodges by himself. I loved This Was All Great. In Hiram's office. And Hiram's like, how'd you get in? And he's like, oh, Veronica keeps an entire door unlocked for me. Yes. Which seems like a really bad idea after uh, the small fry incident from the season, from the episode before. Yeah, after literally everything that's happened this season. Yeah, and Veronica's like, this is fine. I'm a teenage girl. And we are so wanton when it comes to our sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's revealed that Archie has a pretty long knife with him. Yes, quite and the knife. Everything that Hiram has done. Yes. And Hiram starts gaslighting him, and Archie sees through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's still got to make his bones. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear what's going to happen, but it seems like maybe making his bones is going to be killing Hiram. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, he's Which at least a thre- bad idea. He's at least threatening it. Yeah. Yeah, and then he stabs that knife, Into right? the- and boy, that is going to be a lot of money for Hiram to repair that table, I mean, that right. desk, that desk, and that is really how Hiram operates, is on dollars and cents. Yes. So it's actually a great way to get to Hiram, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I feel like his, like, mahogany desk is more important to him than, like, the fact that Archie's dating yeah. his daughter, you know what I mean? Yeah, are we going with mahogany because of that scene in The Hunger Games? No, uh, I just kind of assumed it would be like a really nice, expensive wood. Okay. What? There's what, a scene in the Hunger Games where Hamish like stabs a knife into the table, and Elizabeth Banks' character is like, "That's mahogany." I don't remember that, but that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go with uh, mahogany anyway. then. Uh, so we find out when the gang's all hanging out and pops that Veronica now owns that the basement used to be a speakeasy. Yes, this is all great. And Veronica wants to make it a cabaret bar, which is, like, you can't even go to a cabaret bar yet. You're too young. Yeah, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Hiram reveals that there have been steps taken to tear apart the 
core four. Wait, wait, hold on a moment. Can we discuss this cabaret space for a, a yes, hot yes. second? So are they opening up like the possibility for there to be like special guest stars in season three? Is that what they're doing? I hope this not. Be, like live at pops, like Nicki Minaj. Like, God, I hope not. Yeah. Because to me, this feels like they're opening a real scary Pandora's box. I mean, the worst thing to ever happen in the entire series ever was when Andy Cohen was on. Exactly. And also, coupled with the fact that they don't understand at all how this show should be working musically. Right. That that's a big problem with the show in general. So this when when I heard her say this, I was like, uh-oh, like, are we... This is me being a real asshole, but, like, is Riverdale going to have an improv team? Or are we going to have to see, like, Moose and Dilton do, like, two-person scenes? Oh, okay, like, get what, a suggestion. What, Every suggestion is pineapple. Yeah, exactly. Like, is this, is this, is this, is this where they're going with this? Because I'm, I don't know if I'm on board. I'm sorry. I'm not. I never want to watch improv, ever. I know. And I don't ever want to watch improv unless I'm doing it. So, we're on right, the same page. you're not watching it, you're doing it. That's right. Um... Anyway, yeah, so Hiram says steps have been taken to tear apart the core four. Yes. We don't know what they are yet. That's right, but, well, but they're revealed pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Polly says Alice that she wants the leader to come stay with them and gives us, like, real creepy look, and it's like, great, now we have to deal with this. No, I was like, great, now we get to deal with this. <laughs> I this just I- want Alice to have, like, a nice home. You are a very nice person, Kate, but I want cult time in Riverdale. I'm, like, so on board for this. Like, I I want there to be a Riverdale, like, crazy fucking tantric sex blood thing going on. Like, I think it would be amazing. You know, and it would, like, when they have that happening, it would definitely be overlaid and, like, combined with another thing where the kids are performing something. Exactly. That's, like, I'm, I think that's great. I think they did that so well in the first season. They, like, barely did it in the second. That's a good point. Yes, definitely. And they did like, so well. I want them to do a Kids in America reprise. Yeah, or I Feel Love. Yes, within, like, a fucking terrifying, you know, like, red robes and shit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Betty and Jughead are at the five seasons. Yeah, how can Juggy afford this? <sighs> He's like, I splurged. It's like, oh my god, Jughead. Like, he what can do you... barely make rent. What's he doing for money right now, that kid? <sighs> Who knows? You know, he lost his job two days ago at the drive-in. Yeah. It's actually he hasn't lost his job at the drive-in yet. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Like, he's still getting paid, like, severance or whatever. Well, no, it's just that this show jumps around so much that that... That episode happens in the future. Oh, cool. That's great. Awesome. Um, he asked Betty to be his serpent queen. What does this mean? It's so gross. I hate it. Do you think he's proposing to her? No, I think he's just being, like, teenage romantic, which is, like, really gross, and you wish it wouldn't happen. Okay, that's fine. I mean, we have different opinions about teenage romance. Yeah. Obviously. I think it's fine to be gushy and express affection for someone who you're partnered with. And I give them the ability to do that. But I just thought it was confusing writing. Cause to me, I was like, well, queen, like, are you proposing to her? Which I'm like, not into for the show. Right. Yeah. 
Because they're somewhere between the ages of 14 and 18. Exactly. So I'm like, no, no, no. We, um, they can just be cute boyfriend and girlfriend. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, the, we get a joy, uh, Jughead voiceover again. Yep, the first one in, like, these two episodes. Right. Yeah. And we find out about that there's going to be something with the next day's cataclysmic events. Yes. Cut to the gymnasium with Josie singing the national anthem, and I obviously thought something was going to happen to Josie. Yes, and the this was a scene that built the tension very well. Yes. For... They started playing, like, really creepy music underlaying the national anthem. Yes, yes, and it was unfortunately a disappointing resolution. Right. Hiram enters, and you're like, oh shit, something's about to go down. Yeah. And I again thought someone was going to be hurt somehow. Yes. Then the sheriff enters, and Archie is arrested for murder. Mm-hmm. What if, so what Archie, Archie accused Hiram of killing Cassidy Bullock, and then Hiram goes around and says Archie did it. Yeah, yeah. And, and Hiram, of course, is smart enough to figure out a way to frame Archie for that murder. Right. That being said, this is going to be a lot, if, unless they write it in a really surprising way, this is going to be a lot of exposition for season three, with Archie sitting behind glass, talking into a phone... Yep. Different characters. And, like, really, it just feels like they're writing themselves into a corner where it's not dynamic enough to propel a whole plot arc of the show. Yeah. And just to jump ahead to season three, what if Archie did do it? Okay, that's done. What do you mean? Like, it'll come up, it'll start seeming like, oh, maybe Archie did do it. But we we know he didn't do it. Right, but also, like, it's how it goes. They're going to make it seem like maybe Archie did do it. Um, I, I, I hope they don't, because that's pretty disrespectful to the f- fact that we literally saw where Archie was when the crime happened. Where was he? He was chasing them. Then Hiram's goons took over, and Archie left them alone, left Cassidy alone. With Hiram's goons. Huh? Who was Cassidy? Cassidy is the kid who was murdered. The townie. Right, but why did we see... When was Archie chasing him? Oh, I know which person. Okay. This is the home invasion thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's... that's, And then Archie was clearly in another location when Hiram's goons took over. Right, so we saw he didn't do it. The issue is going to be proving that he didn't do it. Exactly. That's no what we're going, exactly. That's what we're going to see, and uh, that's a good thing for us to talk about because it's good to clarify at this point. Like that's yeah. where we're at with that plot line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Archie is taken away in handcuffs. Yep. You know what this reminds me of? This is a bit of a tangent, but there was a plot line um, in Batman comics like fifteen years ago that was called Bruce Wayne Murderer, where Bruce Wayne was arrested for murder. Uh-huh. And it was a lot of Bruce Wayne incarcerated. And let me tell you, Kate, it was boring. Yeah. So I really don't need, like, an Archie murderer plotline. You no. know, like, immediately when he was dragged away in handcuffs, I was like, oh, no. I've been through this before with this type of character. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, so. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so what are your power rankings? I'm doing this off the top of my head. 
Okay. My power rank. Oh, we missed something. That's great. We missed the final scene with Hiram. Not the final, final scene, but the scene with Hiram at the White Worm, where he has assembled Riverdale's version of the Legion of Doom. Right, that's when he says he's set up something to tear the four apart. Yes, but we need to address who's in the room with him. Yes. It's the Blossoms. Uh-huh. Uh, Penny. Mm-hmm. And who else? I don't remember. Do we need to look it up? I feel like it was just them. Was it? Yeah. It's a great assemblage of third, you know, third tier characters in this world. Yeah. There might've been a ghoulie in there. Oh yeah. That would make sense. Totally. So this is, I love this. I think this is awesome because this brings together a whole bunch of plot lines in a way that's really fun, you know? So this I liked and, uh, uh, I, I, I'm excited to see, this is, this is one of the hanging threads. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Like if it's, if season three is primarily Riverdale Legion of Doom and Kevin Moose makeout scenes, I'm like, so on board, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so power ranking, I'm going to do this off the top of my head. Number one, Vegas. Yes. Because he was in the episode. Yep. Number two, Hiram. Okay. Number three, Veronica. Number four, that sheriff idiot. <laughs> Number five, uh, let's say, uh, let's say, uh, uh, what's her name, McCoy? Sierra. That's it for me. Okay, uh, mine's different. Great. So my I, also, I, clearly, I clearly didn't think about it too much. Yeah, my number one was Archie. Uh, my number two was Veronica. Mm-hmm. My number three was Hiram. Mm-hmm. My number four was Jughead. Mm-hmm. Number five was Betty. Mm-hmm. My actual number one was Vegas. Of course. Beautiful. Vegas is the Vegas. first position. That's right. Vegas helped so much when they made pancakes and bacon. Yep. Crush list. Who did you have? Moose. Yep. Archie. Uh-huh. I think finally that, like, he got to not be, like, a piece of shit. I was like, oh, he is attractive. Great. Um, And then, like, a kind of a tie between Kevin and Cheryl. Yeah, mine is very similar. It's Moose, Kevin, and Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cheryl in that jacket, out of all the characters on the show, and this is surprising, Cheryl is the one who I think has the most potential to do a spinoff. She is, she's really carrying her own on the show. Yeah. And I think it would be totally cool. Like, like a Cheryl, Tony, biker, you know, like road show show. Yeah, like a Sons of Anarchy with... yeah. Cheryl. That'd be awesome, you know, something like that. Anyway, so, okay, this was Riverdale season two. Yep. Two seasons in. How do we feel overall about this season? A little underwhelmed overall. Yep. But, but okay, let's take a moment and flash back to season one. I would argue that we certainly were critical of several episodes of season one. Yeah. And that this season, because of the longer episode order, the problems season one had were amplified this season. Yeah, I feel like it's like how people always says The Simpsons and like SNL used to be better. And it's like, no, it's just because you didn't remember the flops. Yeah, you don't remember the problems. Absolutely. Um, And I feel like, for me, this season was very 50-50. Yeah. There was some stuff that was so enjoyable. And then there was a lot of stuff that was unresolved and underwhelming 
because it felt like they needed to pad for time. Yeah. Like, can you imagine this season with, let's say, a third as much of the chick bullshit, Mm -hmm. the Archie Mafia bullshit, Yep. and the Jughead as a Serpent bullshit? Yeah. If those three things were dialed down, this would have been a season we would have enjoyed, I think, a lot more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That being said, the good stuff, Cheryl's sexual awakening, Mm -hmm. the class issues explored with the serpents was great. Yeah. Really, really, really cool. Uh, All the stuff with the adults I thought was really good this season. You know, um, I loved the Hiram, uh, Hermione stuff. I thought that the Mayor McCoy, uh, Sheriff Keller stuff ended up being really fun and compelling. Uh-huh. Um, I liked Penelope Blossom being a, a madam. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked all that stuff. So we'll see, you know, and, and also at its core, I thought that a lot of the Black Hood stuff was very effective. Yes. And was sort of such a really lovely homage to slasher films in general. And uh, I I really appreciated that. Yep. What are your hopes for season three? I hope we don't spend too long in court. Yep. I hope we see more of Kevin. Yes. Not even just Kevin and Moose, just more Kevin. I agree. He's become a, a much better character. Yeah. I guess I, like, I haven't really thought about it yet. You know, I have shifted my position on the show delving into the supernatural. Uh-huh. And I don't want to see this show delving into the supernatural at this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's not a good idea. I, I agree with that. Um, although I certainly wanted to maintain its horror elements. And that's the thing, like, if this show... The first season was, like, a, a noir whodunit. Uh-huh. The second season was much more of a scream-like horror. Yeah. If the third season is a courtroom drama, uh-huh. that is that just doesn't feel like a good transition. No. To me. I, I could see this show exploring other genres in a way that's more fun. Yeah. You know, like I could see the show exploring, you know, um, I don't know. They might actually be in a bit of a difficulty unless they just maintain it being sort of a more of a horror style show, you know? Yeah. Because, well, I actually think it might be really fun to make this show more of a political intrigue show for a season. Be about yeah. Hermione and, and City Hall. Yeah. You know? Well, also, like, police corruption's for sure going to be, like, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be more fun than courtroom shit. Right. Yeah. This could be, like, a prison drama, too, because everything's set up for Hiram to open that prison on the south side. Would you like to see it become a prison drama? Um, no. Yeah, I don't know if they can really pull it off. Yeah, especially with Archie's a minor. Yes, and agreed with that. And also, like, this show has touched on real-life social issues here and there Uh and used them for the sake of the show. You know, like, clearly, Jingle Jangle was a you know, analogy for the opioid epidemic, just like, for example, you know, Uh but the prison issue in this country is very serious and complex. 
Uh-huh. And I wouldn't want Riverdale to be making light of that. Right. You know, like they are with uh, mental health stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah, which I don't love. Yeah. And we've already talked about who we want to see promoted to series regular. Mm-hmm. And we know who already has been, but there might be more announcements over the gap in the season. Yeah, once they're, like, really writing season three. Exactly. And I wouldn't be surprised as well if we end up seeing casting announcements pretty soon for Jughead's mom and for Jellybean. Yeah. Yeah, as well. So that, that'll be interesting. Kevin's mom, too. Oh, sure. Who's, what is she? She's in the art. She's stationed somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. Thank you for your service. Fictional lady. <laughs> we appreciate everything you've exactly, done. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's feels like a, like a wrap. Yeah. You know, Kate, I do want to say, first of all, of course, thank you to all of our listeners that have stuck through with us for this season. And also, um, Thank you for your recommendations if you've been recommending this podcast to other friends. We actually got a very sweet shout out on Twitter today. Yeah. Where we were recommended as one of seven Riverdale podcasts so that there would be a Riverdale podcast for you to listen to every seven days of the week. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, for our listeners, of course, we're Kate and I are going to break from our weekly schedule now that the season's over. Right. And, you know, to pursue our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I am certain, although I I will be the first to admit this, the two of us haven't planned anything yet, but I'm sure you'll expect some, like, fun bonus episodes with us over this break. Yeah. You know, where we'll watch some stuff that's related and talk about it, or we will... um, delve into a certain aspect of the show or an aspect of the culture surrounding the show and we'll talk about it and we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll go from there. Right. Um, You know, and of course, not that you guys seem to do this, although I know you're listening based on our stats and everything, but if you want to suggest something uh, we'd be more than happy to take suggestions and take them into consideration. If it's something compelling for us, we'd be more than happy to cover it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We should also, we might go to like a convention or something. Yeah, totally. Like a, you know, like an anime convention and then just talk about how great Riverdale is and it'll be like totally inappropriate. Yeah. (laughs) No, like a, like a convention convention. There's Mm -hmm. one in New Jersey happening in October. So. Right. We were going to try to get a panel. We should figure out what it is. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, stay tuned for that. (laughs) Uh, but thank you for listening, and, and thanks to Louis Aronowitz for composing our theme song. And Alicia Camden for editing the episodes. And thanks to all of you for listening. And most of all, this season, thank you, Madeline Petch. Yes. <laughs> all right, this has been another episode of XOXO Riverdale. Pals and gals, I'm Louis Perlman. I'm Kate Batter. Keep it peppy. The end of the flippity-flop.